According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. We are once again in Proverbs chapter 14, Proverbs chapter 14 this morning, resuming where we left off a week ago. We're looking at verses 7, 8, and 9 all centering on fools and why we don't want to be around them. Sometimes when you hang out with a bunch of fools, people can't tell the difference. <laughs> and uh, you get lumped in. And, uh, and sometimes for right reasons. <laughs> they lump you in because you are a fool for hanging out with those fools. All right. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer. It's a very important time. We want to be here in fellowship. We want to be spiritual. We want to be humble under the authority of the Word of God. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your grace and truth, thankful for the blessings that we have to assemble together. Father, thankful for the gift of your Son. And I do... uh, Rejoice when uh, the holiday season allows for family gatherings and opportunities to um, to preach a gospel, Father, uh, with family members and friends and folks that uh, that don't know what salvation by grace through faith is all about. So I do thank you for this time of year. We've had some gatherings already and more to come. Father, we just thank you for being so faithful day by day and moment by moment. We call upon that faithfulness now uh, for this hour as we study to show ourselves approved, set aside distractions, hedge us about, protect us, and and teach us, Father, from your truth. I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, as we've been looking at uh, this chapter so far, at least through the first six verses anyway, we've covered five points of study, all under the outline here, one, two, three, four, five, and I didn't Jot myself a note to see where we were going with this, so we'll just do it like this. And come to main point six. How about that? Main point six, if you're keeping track and, and uh, keeping your own notes and your own outline, a triplet of verses contrasting foolishness and wisdom contains the first imperative in the personal and public wisdom portion of the book of Proverbs. And so this is what we're looking at here in verses 7 through 9. And the first imperative is the one there in verse 7 that says, leave, leave the presence of a fool. And uh, it just jumps out the page at you and, and uh, because you haven't seen imperatives for a while. There, there were tons of imperatives in the first nine chapters. Uh, chapters 1 through 9 is what I call the parental uh, wisdom portion of the book. And it's filled with with uh, uh, the the uh, father and mother that are just pleading with a son to listen to the commands and to to uh, to do the things that uh, the parents are advising them to do, and so there are many imperatives in those first nine chapters. We get to chapter ten, and the imperatives stop, and uh, and really from ten to twenty four, those chapters I, I titled that personal and public wisdom, and it's that portion of Proverbs whereby as an adult. As a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, living under biblical principles in your community, it's on you whether you live the Word of God or not. You don't have parents that are barking orders at you or telling you what to do, but uh, you have the expectation as an adult son that when the Word of God lays out the principles, you're going to live it. And so there aren't as many imperatives 
in, uh, in these chapters and, until we get here. Like I say, uh, this is the first one that says, leave. Leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. And so we're going to break this down into two parts. Uh, let me just read 7 through 9 as a unit. Um, verse 7, leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. Verse 8, the wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. Then verse 9, fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is goodwill. Okay? And that's our triplet. This is a poetic unit that's linked together this way, and we're going to handle it as a unit in uh, our points of study. And so a week ago we were talking about hindrances to apprehending God's wisdom, the obstacles that can keep you from learning the Word of God, like sin, right? carnality. When you're out of fellowship, how do you take in the Word of God? Uh, barriers to studying the Word of God, first of all, when you're not even saved. That's the first thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural man cannot apprehend the things of the, of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, right? And then carnality in chapter 3, we, we looked at those as obstacles to apprehending the Word of God. Well, one f- additional obstacle we didn't talk about in um, verses uh, 5 and 6 is this one that's introduced here in verse 7, and that's the, uh, the presence of fools. That's uh, surrounding yourself with fools. And it creates a, uh, a mindset, an attitude. It creates an atmosphere in which the, that sense of, of belonging to this group or running with this crowd or hanging out with this, with this pack, in any sense, just being with this group of people, that, that itself fosters an environment that is hostile to the Word of God that makes it very difficult to even discern truth for what it is. And uh, it has a very real effect, as this verse describes, as other passages describe, and I think as we can uh, illustrate through uh, personal experience. There is an obstacle to identifying messengers of God's wisdom. Not only do you have a hard time uh, hearing the truth for what it is, sometimes you can't even spot the person who has that wisdom on his tongue. The emphasis here, uh, knowing the tongue of knowledge or the lips of knowledge. I think it's literally lips in, uh, in verse 7. You will not discern lips of knowledge. And so um, it just becomes difficult then because of the, of the peer pressure and the group and the, 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 the people all around you. There's some lips over here that have truth, but you can't spot it because of these lips and these lips and these lips, and it's, it's drowned out by the, by the crowd, see, in any event, to be able to discern the lips of knowledge becomes the obstacle. So uh, like I say, this was a week ago and we looked at uh, the verses that are there. We talked about uh, Psalm 13, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 13, 20, which is very nearby. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I mean, just being there, just being a companion, being nearby, being in proximity, Right? We've taught the doctrine of, of cursing by association, blessing by association. And maybe you weren't doing anything wrong, but you were with the wrong crowd and, uh, and, and that. And, and it's, it's interesting to me the way people will use that as their excuse that, well, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. See, it's not my fault. Well, why were you there? Why were you there when you were there? Okay? You put yourself in a place to subject yourself to these kind of consequences. Um. We won't turn to these other ones. Psalm 119, verse 115, Isaiah 56, 11 and 12, 
as well as 1 Corinthians 15.33. Good company corrupts bad, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. We understand that. All right. And then the second point that comes here, uh, also in verse 7, separation is de- desirable, advisable, and commanded. Separation is desirable, advisable, and commanded. And throughout Scripture we find this. We can find passages of Scripture that show why separation is commanded, or other passages of Scripture that, that present it more on an advisable basis. Other passages of Scripture illustrate the desire. Why do you want to be with that crowd anyway? Why is that your desire? And uh, why do you even desire her beauty, for example, when this warning about the, uh, the wicked woman there in the earlier chapters of Proverbs? It says, do not desire her beauty. And so uh, we have passages that speak to this. Separation is desirable, advisable, and commanded. That's why it says leave. Leave the presence of a fool. This is one of the verses where it's commanded. Okay, And uh, when you go through those passages, again, this is last week's study. I'm not going to get back into it. If you missed it, sitting there on the website. The MP3 is just sitting there. Go get it anytime and, and listen to it as many times as you want to. Uh, until it uh, until that sinks in. And so this is what it comes down to. Christian separation, biblical separation, that is God-fearing believers, and I want to surround myself with fellow brothers and sisters that are hungry for teaching, that are humble under the Lord's authority, that are that are dedicated to um, edification, building us up, building one another up, praying for one another, loving one another. That's uh, That's who we want to surround ourselves with. And the fools that are all out for themselves and tearing others down, I don't have time for that. Who wants to be a part of that in, uh, in that activity? All, all that leads to is, is more trouble. All right, so that was all last week, which now sets the table for verse 8 and this morning. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, but the foolishness of fools is deceit. And so here we have, I think, a, a powerful verse that speaks about... Um, the direction we're going and why we're going that way. It's a practical benefit. So if you want to jot this down in your notes under subpoint C, God's wisdom provides a practical benefit for charting a course forward. God's wisdom provides a practical benefit for charting a course forward. And uh, this is uh, kind of a restatement, a rephrasing from the Hebrew of, of what verse 8a is talking about. I'm only going to center on the A portion of this verse in this point. We'll get to the B part under uh, subpoint D. But for now, let's just lock in on the, on the A portion of this verse and the poetry here. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way. Okay? And this is a thrill. This is, by the way, this is, I think this is fundamental to uh, biblical Christianity, and it should be more common than it is, I believe, because I think that the, the clear teaching of the Word of God has diminished in recent generations. I think that churches have substituted programs and entertainment and fun and games, and, and sheep are not being equipped to think. They're not being equipped to chart a course. They're not being equipped to take the Word of God and know where it is that they're going. That race is set before them, but they don't even know they're in a race. And they have no clue what the destination is or what the ultimate plan of God is for what they're doing. And so uh, to understand His way, that's huge. That allows us to relax. This is, this is a, a prime uh, ingredient in faith rest, to, uh, to be able to uh, um, relax over the things you don't understand, 
because you have a very clear understanding of where you are and who you are and why you're there. <laughs> Does that make sense? And so to understand our way, what is my way? What is your way? What is the biblical, the Christian way of life? That's our way, right? And so if there's little details here and there along the way, I don't get worked up over them because I have the big picture in view. I know my way. I know that I'm a believer. I know that I'm saved. I know that I have eternal life. I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And I know that in the meantime, there is a race that's set before me. All right? And so that's the, that's the big picture. That's my way. I know who I am. I know where I am. I know I'm in the will of God. I know, for example, that I have a spiritual gift. And I know that I have a ministry pursuit. I know that I have effects, that God's working in me right? So I've got gifts and ministries and effects, and all of these things are, are in place. And so if something else happens along the way, am I, am I just devastated by that? Am I thrown for a loop? I shouldn't be. Not if I know that I'm in the will of God. I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And when these other things happen, well, all right. That's a, that's a test. That's a conflict. That's a, it's a, whatever that is, it's not going to cause me to get my eyes off of where I'm supposed to be. See, And so really, this is, this is kind of a nice parallel. I think it's a nice supplement to what we're looking at in, in uh, Philippians, right? Uh, in, in our Philippians study, where we're in not one way alarmed by our opponents. In not one way are we alarmed by our opponents, because see, that's just a, a sign of destruction for them and salvation for us. So we're not alarmed by those things as they happen, okay? I know that, hey, God has called me to be the pastor of Austin Bible Church, all right? So I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm serving Him. Everything else, well, the things that happen are the things that happen. But we're just going to keep our eyes where they're supposed to be, keep moving forward, keep walking, and, uh, and God's going to handle the other details along the way. So we want to understand the way, his way, his way, to understand his way. Because see, ultimately, while we have many similarities, we also have some unique individual applications because, uh, you know, my way is not your way specifically. There's a lot of overlap in, in what we do in the body of Christ, but you've got to know your way and quit trying to be somebody else, <laughs> okay? And, and you've got to run the race that's set before you, and your race is not my race. It's, it's similar. We've got a lot of things in common. But you've got your race to run, as I have my race to run. And, and so we're all here together in the, in the church body, being equipped, being fed, growing, serving one another. But ultimately, your race is not my race. See, we'll talk about that also. Um, we've already dealt with this as a concept way back in chapter 3. Do you remember Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7? And uh, in some ways, this is uh, kind of a, a thumbnail for the whole book of Proverbs right here. You can summarize 31 chapters right here in three verses. How about that? <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. How about that? <laughs> okay. And I can apply that. You can apply that. We all can apply that as we understand this is part of our way. Okay. I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a child of God. I'm going to trust in Him day by day, moment by moment. And I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. And this is kind of fun because this is ways plural, right? To understand his way singular, understand that within the overall way of where we're going, you know, in our lifetime from 
the cross to the crown. Within the overall way, there's going to be individual ways. There's going to be other journeys and side trips and other uh, individual assignments. But in all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Okay? What a blessing. And then do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now those three verses, like I say, they encapsulate the whole book of Proverbs. They encapsulate, uh, encapsulate uh, Proverbs 14, 8. All right? This is, it, it, is, it is our blessing to understand our way. And we should. In fact, if you don't, you're a fool. The Bible calls you a fool if you don't know the will of God. Okay? <laughs> because He's made it known. He's laid it out in His Word. And uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable to me because I think these general principles of wisdom, we rely on them, we trust in them, we pray through them, we live them day by day. And then the other things that come along, they handle themselves. They really do. When you are in the will of God and you're asking Him to make His will known. And it's not, uh, it's not a gimmick, it's not a phony thing, it's not some kind of a... Um, a Ouija board or a magic eight ball is not... See, people want the Bible to, to start barking orders like, you know, uh, and they want the specificity of by name who they're supposed to marry and where they're supposed to go to work and where they're supposed to live and all this stuff. And the Bible, you, you can search it from beginning to end and you're never going to find out that, uh, you know, it's the will of God for you to marry Sharon Schneider on May 25th. And, and it just, it doesn't go into that specificity, Right? But in all your ways acknowledge Him, He will make your path straight. You stay humble before Him, you stay in prayer, you're asking Him, you're (coughs) asking Him to make that path straight so that when it becomes evident, it is undeniably evident. You see it, she sees it, your pastor sees it, the deacons see it, the whole church is in agreement. All right? This is a good thing. This is what what God's doing. And so you don't need a book of the Bible to have it written to uh, to make those kind of decisions. All right, uh, Psalm 143. I love Psalm 143. Got some good information here. Psalm 143, verses eight through ten. <clears throat> and I guess I could even back up the paragraphs starts in verse 7. Anyway, here's a believer in prayer. David's in prayer. And right from verse 1, he's in prayer. And he says, hear my prayer, right? And uh, the whole thing is about his prayers. When we get down to verse 7, he says, answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. I don't know about you, but it's common to uh, to be praying about something and then to have kind of a sense of urgency, like uh, maybe the answer's not coming as quickly as you hoped it would come. Uh, and so that's common. David's praying that. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will become like those who go down to the pit. You know, this is serious stuff. If I don't see the answer soon, I won't see the answer because I'm about to die. Okay? So God, I'm not telling you what to do or how fast to do it. I'm just saying uh, today would be good <laughs> when it comes to answering this prayer. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. You like to start your day with prayer? There's a good verse that points to that. Just wake up and say, wow, God is a God of loving kindness. He gave me a morning I didn't deserve. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. 
And this goes right with what we're talking about. It, when, you're, when you have this kind of wisdom, you understand the way. God is teaching you the way. You're asking Him to teach you the way. It should be evident. Father, what do you have for me to do today? I mean, I know the big picture. Yes, today I'm still a pastor at Austin Bible Church, but, but what am I supposed to do specifically today? What assignments are you, are you opening today? You see, there's multiple ways within the overall singular way. Um, for to you I lift up my soul. Yeah, that's a sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed his soul, right? Do we lift up our soul? Do we say, here I am, send me? Do we say, I'm yours? We just lift up our soul and say, Father, it's yours. Use it, kill it, take it home, do what you want to do, okay? Whether I live or I die, I'm, I'm, I'm in his hands. All right. Um, where did I leave off? Uh, verse 8, I lift up my soul. There we go. Verse 9, deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. How about that? When you're walking with the Lord and serving Him and bearing fruit, uh, you got enemies. <laughs> okay, Every time. You're going to have enemies. That's, that's going to happen. The adversary doesn't want you bearing fruit and serving God and doing these things. So you bet believers that are, that are pleasing to Jesus Christ, that are, that are living out their faith, they're going to have enemies. The better you're serving, the more enemies you're going to have. And so you leave them in the hands of the Lord. Say, all right, Lord, that's your business. Take care of those. I take refuge in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. That's what it's about. Say, Father, teach me, lead me, guide me. I'm yours. And that's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment exercise. And if, uh, if you don't happen to have, it's not a church day, then uh, you better be in the Word yourself all day. I mean, just this is, this is the blessings that we have, to be in the Word of God on a daily basis. And it's, uh, you know, to me it's kind of sad the people that don't crack their Bibles between Sundays and Wednesdays or from Sunday to Sunday, uh, as the case may be. Every day I should be in the Word of God and asking Him to teach us. All right, so that's Psalm 143. How about Ephesians 5.17? Let's get some New Testament applications here. And, uh, you know, when the Bible's calling names, it says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay? This is, this is like a New Testament equivalent of Proverbs 14, 8. Because the, uh, the fool doesn't understand the will of God, but the, the, the wise man does. If you fear him, if you're walking in his word, you'll know his will. You will understand his way. All right. Uh, this is a larger context. You'll find it similar to Proverbs. Uh, verse 15, or even prior to that, uh, it's almost like it's a restatement of, uh, of avoiding the fools from uh, Proverbs 14 here. Verse 11 says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. So we don't want to surround ourselves with fools. Leave the presence of a fool. Get out of there. What are you, what are you, what are you running with those people for? For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. You know, there's, there is there's certain activity that not only do you not want to do them, you don't want to even think about them, you don't want to talk about them, you just, you want them far from your presence and far from your thinking. 
We don't even talk about them. But things become visible when they're exposed by the light. And by the way, I think this too is a sign of our nation's decadence. Things that used to be secret, things that used to be unmentioned, things that used to be um, left unspoken, they're now parading. They're now uh, speaking it all day, every day. It's, you get saturated with it in every uh, facet of media. Anyway, so come out from among them and be ye separate. For this reason it says, awake sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. He didn't save you so you could walk that, that evil walk. So then verse 15, be careful how you walk. Therefore, be careful how you walk. God gives this warning for a reason. It's not there for no reason. God doesn't put stupid warning labels on things like American lawyers do. When God gives a warning, the warning is there for a reason. The warning is there because it's serious and we need to pay attention. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Proverbs 14, 8, all over again, right? You're going to walk in wisdom, you're going to walk as a fool. And it's a careful walk. It doesn't happen automatically. See, it's not easy. It's, it's simple, but not easy. You get saved, and then, and then what do you got to spend the rest of your life doing? Growing, learning, studying, working. It's not easy, okay? It's simple, but not easy. You got to trust in the Lord, acknowledge Him. He'll, he'll lead you in the way, but there's going to be conflict. There's going to be enemies. There's going to be struggle. You're going to fail. All right. So be careful how you walk. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. That's what it's about, redeeming the time. When you're making the most of the time, that means you're, you're making each day count, each hour count, each moment count. You kind of look around and you realize, you know what, I, I fritter away a lot. I, I kind of I, I, I daydream, I, I, uh, I, I kind of waste time. Why, why do I waste so much time? There's so little of it. And um, you realize that uh, you know, the, the, the days in front of you are less than the days behind you maybe, and, and you start to think, well, I better get busy at, at what I'm doing. So uh, redeem it because the days are evil. And, and truly in the church age, that's where we are. We are in the, the intensified stage of the angelic conflict. Uh, we are, the church age is the days of evil, so here we are. Satan has demanded permission to sift us like wheat. That's the church age. That's where we are in the body of Christ. No dispensation has ever been faced with the spiritual uh, battle that we have, with the armor we have and the truth we have and the weapons we have. So we have to redeem the time. And do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay? And it's, it's just... It, it, it's, um, it boggles the mind. Like I say, I think it's, it's um, saturating our, our church culture. I think uh, to a large extent uh, we've got churchianity instead of Christianity in a lot of places. And uh, there's a lot of churchgoers that don't have the first clue what the will of the Lord is as far as growing in grace and knowledge, as far as presenting their bodies a living sacrifice, as far as glorifying Jesus Christ from the Alpha to the Omega. And it's just, it's just a kind of a sad, blind kind of, um, it, it's the, the, if you ever read the, the literature, it's called moralistic therapeutic deism. And it's all about the, the philosophy of be nice. And so if you're a churchgoer and you, that's fine, that works for you and it makes you a nice person, great. But your neighbor might not be a churchgoer. He might be something else, but he can still be nice. 
And if he's nice and you're nice, then hey, all religions are basically the same anyway, so you know, that's great. And this Mormon over here, and this Muslim over here, and this Hindu over here, and all this other stuff, they can also be nice. And then so biblical Christianity gets watered down and gets put on a on a on a playing field with this whole philosophy of be nice. And uh it's tragic. All right. No, understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you have a gift? Do you know that you have a ministry pursuit? Do you know where you fit in the body of Christ? Where is it? What is your part in the body in ministering to other members of the body? And are you doing it? Are you pursuing that? Are you ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I think a lot of believers aren't. Man, Carnegie is. <laughs> right? She stood before her Savior last Thursday. And we're going to have that funeral tomorrow night. And what a, what a, what a joy. Because here's a sister that's got full reward and, and well done. And, and what a blessing. And yet, how many, how many Christians, brothers and sisters, are just kind of, they're going around living their life, being nice, not laying up any treasure in heaven, not, not learning, not growing, not uh, engaged in their priestly function, their ambassadorial function, their soldier function. They don't even know what those functions are. And so they're, they're clueless as to where they fit in the body of Christ. I find that unfortunate. It goes on to say, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now some people think that's really a bizarre verse and it's really out of place. They think that, I mean, they were tracking with verse 15, they were tracking with verse 16, they were tracking with verse 17, and then just verse 18 almost seems like it doesn't belong, like it's out of place, like don't get drunk, okay. And then verse 19, we're back to the spiritual again. We never left the spiritual. The drunkenness is an illustration to show us what are we supposed to be doing under the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because if we try to do any of this apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's hopeless. So uh, stop getting drunk with wine and uh, get, get as drunk as you want to get with the, with the Holy Spirit. How about that? <laughs> okay, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be so saturated with the Holy Spirit, right? You know, the thing is with alcohol, even with water, you know, you can poison yourself with too much water. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? You know, and water is, is, you need it to live. Everybody needs water to live. Our bodies are whatever percent water anyway, but you can still have so much water that you, it's toxic at those levels and you, and you die. Same thing with alcohol. You get so much alcohol concentration and you got more, you know, some people joke about having, you know, the, the amount of blood they have in their alcohol stream things like that, right? And it's, it's just, it's not a joking matter, but they, they kind of, that's what fools mock at sin and they just, they, they think it's great. Well, this verse is telling us to get drunk with the Holy Spirit because you can be filled and filled and filled and filled and you never get too much Holy Spirit. It's not toxic. You just keep getting filled and filled and filled and filled. And then on that basis, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, this is what happens when you're under the influence. And I think we need more Christians under the influence. And, and that's the nature. That's why Paul uses alcohol in this illustration. That's the point he's driving home. We want the Holy Spirit to do for us what alcohol does to the drunk. <laughs> Isn't that great? So, I mean, when, when if you... Uh, 
And I know no one in this room knows what I'm talking about, but you know, you've, you've read books or you've seen movies, fictional movies that present drunk people, okay? And so a drunk person will do things they don't do when they're sober. A drunk person will think a certain way that a sober person doesn't think. You know, and it could be the same person when he's sober versus when he's drunk, you know. And so when he's, when he's intoxicated, he, he, he starts to, you know, he's got a, his perception is all wrong, his, his attitude is all wrong, he thinks he's, he's stronger than he really is, he thinks he's more handsome than he really is. He's just convinced that that woman, you know, finds him attractive. And she doesn't find him attractive at all. She, she thinks he's a drunk, right? But he is convinced that she thinks he's attractive. So he thinks a certain way because he's drunk. He'll say certain things he would never say sober. All right. It's the same thing under the filling of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you have a perspective you don't have when you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you will say things you would never say when you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? For example, a... Uh, a gospel opportunity comes up and, and all of a sudden you find yourself just leading that person to Christ and saying things and being outgoing and, and Bible verses are coming to your memory and then you walk away and you think, why didn't I say that? <laughs> That's not my personality. I'm shy. I'm quiet. I don't like talking to people. But boy, the Holy Spirit sure worked on that occasion, didn't He? And then all of a sudden you found yourself in His hands being a tool, being used and, and, and the, the words kept coming, the verses kept coming, the, the, there was power in that, okay? Because you were filled with the Holy Spirit, see? Not just in fellowship, filled, being filled. That filling, that filling was happening, okay? Like, you know, just think of that pouring event, that pouring motion as it flows, as it pours. All right. So... Um, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's our paragraph. That's the, that's the um, context for do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is who we are in the body of Christ as we love one another, serve one another, edify one another, and all of this. Finally, Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. Similar to the Ephesians passage. And a nice um, description of what it means to be a Christian. A nice, um, I like these verses as a kind of a, uh, uh, a thumbnail, if you will, for what does it mean to be a church-age saint in this, because this was a, a church Paul had never been to. He knew some of the people, but he'd never been in Colossae. And uh, so he's got a, a burden for them. He'd love to visit them soon if he can. And of course, he's in prison when he writes this letter, but he would like to visit them at some point. And, uh, but he's thankful. There's a fellow named Epaphras uh, in verse 7 that apparently uh, got these guys saved and started this church and was one of their early teachers. Uh, so Paul talks about that. He says, uh, as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. So that's his contact. Paul knows Epaphras. And Epaphras uh, knows the, the Colossians. 
and he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. So for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. Now what's he asking here? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right? Because what do we read in Proverbs 8? Or Proverbs 14, 8a? Right? To understand his way. This is what it's all about. We should understand his way. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way. So that's what Paul's praying for. And as a church age saint, we're going to understand it a whole lot better than an Old Testament believer ever would. Because we have the Holy Spirit. Most of them didn't. So you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Okay? And, and I think this, this, I love the order on this because it puts it in the right perspective. It's not putting the cart in front of the horse. It's got the, the order right. Behavior follows thinking. The walking in a manner worthy is not legalism. It's not a, it's not a, a long list of rules. It's not a, it's not a phony, artificial, legalistic, uh, you know, church. Who wants that? Who wants this long list of do's and don'ts and a bunch of judgmental, snooty people, legalists that are, that are following you around with clipboards and making sure you're towing the line and cracking the whip when you, when you don't measure up, you know? And uh, no. You want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? That comes, that's the outworking of being filled with the knowledge of His will. Okay? That's the outworking. Thinking precedes doing. So as your thinking is transformed, as, as again, verse 10 flows out of verse 9. When you are filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, then you can live that out. And you do so intelligently. You do so volitionally. You do so in your own priesthood so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Anything else is not worthy. Anything else is not worthy. God wants an adult son that knows what he's doing and why he's doing it. He doesn't want a child that that's, uh, just has to be told what to do all the time and always... No, he wants children to grow up, to know what, why, where, when, how, to be like-minded with the Father as we're filled with the knowledge of His will. And, and really, when you know the Father's will, when you know the Father's plan... Do you, does, does the Father have to micromanage then and, and tell you st- every step, every little part, every little thing? No. Because you're like-minded with Him. You're on board with His thinking. You know what, he, what His desire is. And that's walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And what comes with that? Pleasing Him in all respects. <laughs> Maximum pleasure for God the Father is an adult son that is filled with the knowledge of His will and is walking in this worthy manner, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. See? See the order on that? It's the outworking. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See? It it comes back around. It's almost like a loop, right? Because we had the knowledge to start with and we acquire even more knowledge by working it out, by living it, by bearing the fruit. So increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power. So, so we know Him better as we serve Him more. We know Him better as we're, as we're bearing this fruit, as we're pleasing Him. All right. And then that too, I think, 
It's kind of a sad thing. So let me hit the other side. I've been beating up on churches. <laughs> let me beat up on us for a while, okay? There are, there are good teaching churches that stress the learning, stress the growth, stress the academic, stress the doctrine, and uh, so much so to the point that they don't, they kind of minimize the expression, the outworking, the application, all right? And so you end up with a bunch of, of uh, uh, fat Christians that eat, 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 and never exercise, okay? They're just constantly taking in the food, constantly taking in the food, but they're never walking, they're never working it out. They're never living that in application. And so uh, because of that, because they're not living it out in application, there is a facet to the, to the knowledge they never attain to. This is the knowledge that's where it says increasing in the knowledge of God. They never get to that increasing in the knowledge of God in verse 10 because they're not living it out. And so they don't acquire that experiential knowledge that comes uh, through doing it. I hope that makes sense. And then, look what else happens. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. When does the strength finally reach? (laughs) Okay? Say, well, I would do more if I was stronger. Well, start doing stuff and watch the strength pour in. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. You know, when He's calling you to an assignment, just be faithful. Go do what He wants you to do. Don't start making excuses like, well, I can't do that. Of course you can. He told you to do it. So as you step forth in faith and as you go out and do it, just find yourself amazed again and again and again that the strength that was needed to get it done is provided. The ability is provided. Everything you thought you didn't have, God has. He was asking for your obedience, not your ability. He gives the ability. So strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's us. That's the body of Christ. This is the New Testament uh, Christian way of life right here. Okay, Far more powerful than anything Israel ever had in the Old Testament. Okay, They could get saved. They had eternal life. But they didn't have the, the portfolio of assets we have. They didn't have the positional truth we have. They weren't baptized into union with Christ. They were not provided the divine enablement that we are provided. You ever stop to consider that? They're given a Mosaic law, 619 commandments, and no divine empowerment to keep all those commandments. <laughs> wow. No wonder they failed. No human could measure up to that. And yet here we are. And so uh, sharing in the inheritance of the saints in light. Already, now, today. We're not just heirs that are going to get something someday. We're heirs who already have this portfolio of assets right here, right now. We have the, the deposit. We have the down payment. We have the assets now that we can start making use of. And so uh, I see it described there. All right, that's the A side of verse 8. What's the B side of verse 8? So if, uh, if the, un- if the uh, wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way, and uh, boy, there's a whole vocabulary study there with wisdom and sensibility and understanding, but we'll pass by that. What's the flip side now? 
It's more than just not understanding the way. That's, that's kind of a no-brainer. That goes without saying. Worse than that, worse than not understanding His way is embracing the lie, is, is, is celebrating the, the deceit. The foolishness of fools is deceit. They lie to themselves and they like it. They find their lies are much more preferable. The foolishness of this world is a lie. But fools prefer it as they chart their course forward. They build an entire worldview that's saturated with nothing but systematic lies one after another after another. And they like it that way. The foolishness of this world is a lie. But fools prefer it for their course forward. And so it's the B part of verse 8. It's also the uh, impact of what we'll see in verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. (laughs) But everybody's doing it. (laughs) Yeah, they are. The hoi polloi, the many, broad is the path, broad is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there are that go go there too. The foolishness of this world is a lie, but fools prefer it for their course forward. And, And I tell you, our culture is saturated with this. From evolution to Big Bang to all of the, all of the uh, philosophies of, of naturalism to all of the anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Christian expressions that they can find. And so it's like these interlocking systems that just dedicate themselves to pursuing the opposite of what the Bible says. <laughs> okay, So if the Bible has a standard for marriage, we're going to go to the opposite. A standard for families, we're going to go to the opposite. Standard for nations and borders, we're going to go to the opposite. Standard for, for economics, we're going to go the opposite. And all these interlocking systems, stewardship of the creation, we're going to go the opposite. Okay, And instead of having sovereignty over the creation, we're going to worship the creation. We're going to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator. And, and you name it, every issue out there, the adversary has the, uh, the counterfeit and the alternative and, and the majority are going that way. All right, so the foolishness of this world is a lie, but fools prefer it, you know? And, and that's kind of human. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot with uh, believers, by the way, that do the same thing in sin. We do the same thing in carnality. It's because it's more comfortable than the alternative, okay? Because I don't want the truth to be true. I don't want it to be true. A lot of women, they just convince themselves. You know, they know their husband's cheating, but they just convince themselves he's not. And they just, they, just, they just lie and lie. No, no, he's not, he's not. They don't want to acknowledge the truth. Or other things. No, 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 don't talk to me about that. Oh, I'm not listening, right? And, and because they would, rather, they would rather embrace the lie. They're more comfortable with it. And when it comes to uh, Big Bang and evolution, well, yeah. If there's no God, then, then, then there's no sin, okay? And then what I'm doing is okay. Don't tell me it's wrong. Yeah, don't tell me I have to, I'm immoral. You know, who are you to tell me I'm immoral? I'm happy with what I'm doing. Go away. And, and so really the, the drive, the, the hatred, the anti-God attitude is, is don't tell me what to do. I want to do what I'm doing. I like what I'm doing. So I don't want there to be a God. What does John 3 talk about? 
John 3, 19 through 21? We know John 3. What do you think of John 3? John 3, 16, right. God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. What a blessing. We just had Christmas, right? God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. A Savior came to this world because God so loved this world. That's the chapter we're dealing with here. Um, Whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then, uh, yeah, what what a gospel. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. That's the default position. You're born an unbeliever. You're born in sin. Every human being is judged already, dead in Adam until you believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Then you pass out of death into life. All right, but I'm headed for those verses 19 through 21. This is the judgment. Here's what it comes down to. That the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Quite often when we share good news, people don't want to hear it. It's not good news to them. (laughs) They don't want to hear it at all. That's not good news. No. That's light shining upon their darkness and they don't, it's like cockroaches. You, You know, the light comes on and scatter. And these unbelievers, they don't want the light of the gospel shining on them, on their their life, their decisions, their things, what they're doing. And they love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And and that too is a grace provision. That guilt, that conscience, that... uh, that sense, because even, even dead in Adam, as, a, as an unbeliever, they remain human. They remain in the image of God. A human soul and a human body, they bear the image of God. Even after the fall, we bear the image of God. And so there is a sense, there is a sense, there is a discomfort that uh, a part of them knows, see, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Well, what are you afraid of? Why does that bother you? If you don't think there's a God, then why does it bother you to talk about Him? Why does it bother you if, if a pastor wants to pray? I shared that story on Sunday. Uh, this atheist, very militant atheist, fled the room in the hospital, ran out into the hallway, didn't want to be in the room when a prayer was being spoken. Why does that bother you so much? <laughs> you know? I've, I've yet to say, I mean, to me that just betrays that you do believe in God, you just don't like Him. And you're afraid of Him. Because if I... You know, there's not a fictional character that, that could be talked about that's going to cause me to violently fe- be fearful and flee the room. You know? There's a whole lot of I, I, people I don't believe in. I don't believe in the Easter Bunny, but there's no conversation about the Easter Bunny that's going to get me to just race out of there and say, oh, don't talk about it, don't talk about it. Okay? Something's happening here. And you don't want to talk about it, you don't want to hear about it. But uh, that that itself is betrayal of your God consciousness, your awareness that, that He is and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. All right. So, for fear that His deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that His deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. And that's our privilege. What a joy. It's all laid bare. It's all transparent. It's all laid out there. We, uh, he is the one with whom we have to do and all things are in His sight. So that, no problem with that at all. Happily, 
Search me, try me, see me. If there's something there that needs to be removed, get rid of it. I want him to see it clearly. And so we have, uh, we have that. How about Romans one twenty five? Romans one twenty five. Again, this is part of why fools prefer the foolishness. God uh, makes Himself known and they act like they don't know. And so professing to be wise, they become fools. They exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for the image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And so God gives them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Again, thinking precedes doing. The heart precedes the action. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And that's what it's about. Exchange the truth of God for a lie. Serve it. Worship it. Love it. That's why Satan is called the liar and the father of lies. He's the God of this age. He's, uh, Jesus told him, he says, you're of your father the devil. And that's what, that's what happens with the unbelievers of this world. And they prefer it. Absolutely prefer it. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.13 2 Timothy 3.13 And guess what? It gets worse. <laughs> uh, this is Paul's last will and testament, his closing epistle, the last thing he writes before he dies. And he's urging Timothy to take it to the next generation. And really we have this, the whole book is centered on this as we had recited to us a couple Sundays back. Um, but this is why we have the training ministry in the local church like we have it. As it says in 2 Timothy 2.2 The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so we teach and we train and we teach and we train and the men that we teach and train, they go where they go and they're going to teach and train and they're going to teach and train, okay? They're not going to ship their people back here to, to train here. They're going to train them there. And uh, that's what that's about. And so that continues in, in chapter 3, verse 10 says, you followed my teaching and it didn't stop there. It's not just a graduate school academic class. You followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Nine items right there. And teaching is only one on the list. Out of nine items. There's your seminary syllabus. Okay? Persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. That was Timothy's hometown. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Witnessing that was part of Timothy's preparation, seminary preparation. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You want to pursue ministry? This is what you have to look forward to. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And this is the way of the fool. Uh, they prefer it. It's their course forward. Even when that course forward gets worse, even when that course forward gets darker, they'll pay that price. It's, it's just a cost of doing business and they're happy to do it. 
And uh, the lie gets worse. And even when they have to tell a second lie to cover up the first lie, and they've got to tell a third lie to cover up the first and the second lie. And then by the time, you know, they're already saturated with, with four or five interlocking lies, and the whole thing is just waiting to collapse, but they, they keep propping it up. That's the life they're living. That's the pursuit they're, they're engaged in. That's their, that's their worldview. And it goes from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. All right, well, that's Proverbs 14, 8. Next, we have Proverbs 14, 9, where there's a lot of mocking. And uh, this is what we'll deal with next week. Fools mock at sin. Just laughing about it, mocking about it, denying the consequences. Eh, whatever, you know? And it just gets worse and worse, and God's judgment comes, and here comes discipline, and here's consequences. Eh, there's no consequences. They act like there aren't any. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is goodwill. And uh, a neat conclusion. So that's what we'll deal with next week. Lord willing and rapture pending in the new year. How about that? Our first uh, Wednesday morning of 2018, we'll, uh, we'll tackle verse 9. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. Father, um, on this day, uh, the day started early, Father, but you remain faithful and true, and I thank you for that. I thank you for brothers and sisters that are hungry to be fed. I thank you for this uh, midweek class. In a lot of ways, Wednesday is just a, it's an oasis, Father, uh, through, the, through the midst of the week, and I thank you for that, and um, just give you all the praise and the glory. And I do also, Father, commit to you the message tomorrow night um, as uh, we gather together for Nan Carnegie's memorial service. Father, might it be um, honoring and pleasing in your sight might it uh, testify to the grace of our salvation. And Father, uh, for folks who may come and attend because they're family or friends or whatnot, but uh, I do pray, Father, anyone that comes and, and uh, if, they don't, if they are not born again, that the gospel message will be so clear that they'll sit here and recognize that Nan Carnegie's not in heaven because she's such a good person. No one's good enough. Father, it's your grace and your grace alone that uh, that purchases our redemption. So I pray that tomorrow night they'll they'll hear that loud and clear and and uh, place their faith in in our savior Jesus Christ. And I thank you for all these things, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.